You ready? I'm you ready. Guys ready? It's all ever be. Because it's been recording. Yeah. What's up, everybody? This is Big Pep, and you're here again at Pep Talk. You got myself, Big Pep. You have my co-star, the young, the infamous Juan Ramirez. And our guest for this episode. Let me break it down to you guys. Bullet point by bullet point by bullet point. Straight out of Oxnard, California. What? Graduate of Pacifica High School. Oxnard, I mean, Harvard graduate. Founder and CEO of Element and Company. She also got hired on by Google. And while she was at Google, yeah, Google, you guys heard it. She also (laughs) founded a multicultural team and co-founded the brand Ola. She was also 2017 Forbes, 30 under 30. She was also 2017 Latina Style Magazine, named her one of the top 10 Latina corporate executives on her their list. And 2019, she made the top 50 list for the most powerful Latinas by A-L-P-F-A. Alpha. Alpha. Because I, I didn't know what it was. Thank you. <laughs> and founder of Latinas Who Brunch. And most importantly, Jesus. exactly what we're drinking today. The co-founder of Tequila Alquimia. Everybody give it up for Eliana Murillo, but also my cousin. Let's go. Let's go. (laughs) What's going on? I'm so happy to be here. And I take most pride in the last bullet point being your cousin and a guest on your show. Thank you both for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Um, before we get into it, everyone's probably wondering why is there three empty glasses and this beautiful tequila? Mm-hmm. So Salud. this is a sipping tequila. So I poured you about a shot, more or less, but um, you sip it, you enjoy it, and we can have it as we have this conversation. I love it. So mm. this is our añejo, by the way, and this is aged for almost three years. It's USDA certified organic. It's all natural, sustainable, eco-friendly, and we drive a lot of impact with this product so i can tell you about that but excited to jump in wherever you want well let's jump in from the beginning um bef- when we were off air juan and i we were we were we were speaking about you and we spoke about how coming out of Oxnard, california and going to a public school like pacifica where in the heck did you or whoever um guided you allow you to chase that dream of going to harvard you know, because that's not what public schools, especially Oxnard, is kind of known for, you know. Yeah. So where's your story and how how'd that come about? Yeah, I mean, to say it was even a dream of mine would be an overstatement. I didn't even think that I could go either. Like, it wasn't a possibility to me. It wasn't something I aspired toward. But it was honestly 100% my mom. And I always like to give credit where credit is due. And my mom is Pepe's mom's sister. So yes, you know her very well. Very well. And, you know, she's a pusher. Yes, she is. <laughs> and she, you know, she wants to encourage people. She's a high school teacher. She wants to encourage people to to pursue things that are, you know, um, important, inspiring opportunities. And so I think what drove her was that no one ever told her she could have applied because people don't talk about that enough out here. And me, out here meaning in an area where there aren't a lot of people going to Ivy League schools or even leaving California. And there's great schools here. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, why would I leave California? I love it here. There's a lot of great schools. But... It was time to apply to college, and I had already done all my AP classes and extracurriculars and everything else, and she's like, you're going to apply to Harvard, right? And I was like, why would I do that? It just seemed so 
silly to be honest. And she said, well, why wouldn't you? And I was like, mom, kids from Oxnard don't go to schools like Harvard. I'll never forget the exact line I told her. I was like, it seemed unfathomable. It seemed unreasonable. I was like, why would I even do that? And she said, you never know unless you try. True. And I think about that all the time. I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, my mom's voice, you never know unless you try. And so I applied in secret. I told her, you have to promise me you're never going to tell anyone I applied because I thought, how embarrassing if people find out that I think I could get in. Like, almost like in Spanish, when people say, ¿Quién te crees? Like, who do you think you are to get to exactly. apply and get in, right? So I was fully in that mindset. I can't say I wanted this since I was five. Like, no, not at all. I had no idea it was possible. I didn't know how to go about it, but, you know, looked into applying. And and I guess I was curious. I was like, fine. She was nagging, to be honest. I was really annoyed by this. But eventually I was like, okay, let me look into how to apply. And, you know, I went through it. And then I got, I uh, got like a, an email, I guess, um, to have an interview. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I thought this was such a long shot. Did not think I'd be interviewing at all. And I thought, wait a minute. And the way I found out actually, right before I got that email, my principal called me out of class and he was like, he called me out and I was like, am I in trouble? And he's like, did you apply to Harvard? And I really thought I was in trouble. I was like, I mean, my mom made me like, I, I apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't know. And he was like, they just, what was crazy is they called the someone in admissions called the high school to confirm that I'd actually taken as many AP classes, advanced placement classes as I put on my, on my application because I took 11 classes, which is a lot for any school, even boarding schools, private schools. So for a public school in an area where they don't see a lot of kids apply, they're like, who's this girl applying with 11 classes? It's just unheard of. Um, pretty rare. And a big part of that was because my mom being a teacher at Pacifica, mm -hmm. she advocated when they wanted to close like our chemistry AP class. Cause there was like, six of us or eight of us. It was really small. And they thought it's not, it's not like actually worth having a teacher teach this full class. There's not enough students. And she went to the administration and was like, you have to keep it open. If they can't take this and they can't go on to physics AP and then they'll never be that wow. track. So she really had to push for it. So I always acknowledge my, my advocates, my sponsors, but it started with my mom. And so if not for her, they would have literally canceled the classes I needed. That was so surprisingly impressive to admissions. And, um, yeah. So anyway, I applied, I got in and even then I was like, but you can't tell anyone I'm like, I'm not going to go. And my parents were like, what? Like, why would I go? Like, I'm good here. I was excited to go to schools out here and I wanted to go to culinary school. So I wasn't even on that track. I was like, yeah, yeah, I did it. You told me to no problem. Apparently I got in, um, but there was a point where I was invited to go visit the campus and my mom and dad both, they were like, you don't say no to Harvard. And I was like, all right. I visited, I loved it. It was yeah. awesome. Made good friends. So anyway, I went and finished in four years and graduated. And then again, off camera, we were speaking about even while being there and, and, and going to school there, at least in my opinion, I'm thinking if I'm there being from here, did you ever feel like some imposter syndrome? Like I shouldn't be here. I'm from Oxnard. It's usually, you know, the cultural, the culture isn't minority. At least I don't know, you know, so it's like, you know, how, how, how did you, how did you mature through your four years there? Mm. Well, maturing is one thing, but I will start with the imposter syndrome. They, they definitely go hand in hand. Absolutely thought I was the mistake that got in. And a lot of my close friends, we all thought we were the mistake. We were like, we just snuck in, like some admissions officer thought we had a cute story. And like, who, you know, <laughs> none of us thought because it was crazy. I was sitting in my intro one-on-one economics class, Ec 10, it was called, next to the economic champion of the world. I didn't even know you could Whoa. compete. Like, mathletes exist. 
and economics lead, you know, like yeah. these competitions exist. So I was like, this isn't even right. Like, I don't know economics. And this this kid from whatever state had gone to all these, you know, boarding schools and won all these awards. So it's it's really humbling, to be honest, because I did well in high school. I won the Trident Award and all these things. But it's a full reset. You go and then you're like, oh, everyone's smarter than me, period. And then, you know, we bonded over that in some ways. A lot of my good friends, I was like, we all feel like we're out of place here. Everyone felt other. But then I came to find out all of us were, we were kind of one third of the profile. So there's like a third of the school is legacies, they say, people whose parents, grandparents have been there before. Another third are like insanely exceptional kids, like Olympic figure skaters who are also geniuses and whatever. So those people are the ones you think of, the ones sitting next to me, like, where did these kids even go to school? And then the last third of us are people who are leaders. Like my friend Rob, who's really good friend of mine off the send in this podcast if this ends up in the cut and i was like well what did you do like what was your thing like we we're kind of trying to figure out like so what did you do to be impressive enough and we're all pretty chill about it and he's like it's whatever i mean i was like captain of the football team baseball team basketball team asb president and i was like what like so we had these other abilities it wasn't necessarily test scores although we did okay you know but it was like kids who had demonstrated leadership skills and i wrote my application and my admissions essay about the leadership lessons i learned in the kitchen doing culinary arts and everyone mm-hmm. told me not to. My dad was like, Mija, that doesn't sound very like smart. Like, you know, show off. <laughs> yeah. Like, do something. My dad's very intellectual and Mr. Academics. And I was like, no, papi, I need to be myself. And, I, you know, I'm going to do it my way. And so, yeah, I, I wrote something cheesy at the end. Like, and I feel ready, like a fresh baked French souffle or something. And <laughs> I, I got somebody in admissions to like it. So, But to the point of maturing, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a completely different environment. I mean, the level of privilege I was exposed to. On another level. I mean, I went to school with someone whose father gave her the Magna Carta, the historical document for her 18th birthday party. Or her oh, birthday. my gosh. So, like, things that I didn't even think were possible, you know. And here I'm like, yeah, I'm from Oxnard, 805 till I die. Very proud to be from here. And I actually came to appreciate Oxnard a lot more because it's a, it's an incredible place. But um, very different from where I went in school. And in terms of maturing, I think it was part of that of just remembering that, like, we all have our own stories. They're worth telling. Money is definitely, I've never thought money is everything, but you know, you get to know a lot of people's mental health, how people are struggling. Like no one's out there to help us. Like we are on our own, you know, fighting for our lives, trying to not get kicked out of school with bad grades. I told my parents, I was like, I might get kicked out. Like freshman year was so hard and I got C's and I was thrilled. I didn't get put on <laughs> academic probation. And my dad asked my mom, like, should we be proud of her? Cause I got straight A's my whole life. Like, yeah. and he's, and my mom was like, yes, yeah, she didn't get kicked out. Like we're good. And you know, it took me a while to overcome that first hard year. But um, it taught me a lot about learning how to ask for help, like maturing in that way, mm-hmm. like getting a tutor, getting a study group going, um, learning to like just own my own story and, and who I really am, you know, not feeling like I have to try to be something I'm not just because I'm around that. And instead also connecting with people who were dope. Like I was in every cultural group. I, you know, I was in the Latino ones. I, d- I danced baile folklorico. Mm-hmm. Some of my cousins were like, Ooh. you got like more brown when you left. <laughs> <laughs> True. I didn't, I did it like one lesson and I was like, nah, we don't get to dance with machetes as girls. I'm not going to do it. And I quit. It was in third grade. And my mom tried to get me to dance and I was like, nope. If I can't dance with a machete, it's not for me. <laughs> anyway, so so yeah, I learned a lot about myself, appreciated where I'm from, and it wasn't easy, but made amazing friendships through that. I think we kind of trauma bonded in some ways of like, this is a wild experience. None of us prepared for this, but, you know, got to enjoy it while we're there. It was awesome. Yeah, you guys were all going through it together. Yeah. Um, and then during the summers, this is my last question for Harbor, but during the summers, usually people who go to those such prestigious universities will have like an internship mm-hmm. um, when you would 
be in the summer when you would come home, would you have an internship? Would you have a connection? It's so funny you ask. I think there's a part of the story you haven't heard. Like some of that you have heard bits and pieces over the years. But um, so I, I came home after freshman year and I was in women business organizations. So I saw that my friends were all applying to to roles, but really a lot of them were asking their parents for help. And then their dad would call a friend and link up a role for them. And so I got home and I was like, I guess I'm supposed to have an internship. I didn't even know how to go about it. So I asked my parents, I'm like, well, who do we know? Like my friends just have the plug. I don't know. Like, do we know anyone? And they're like, no, I mean, my mom's a teacher. My dad's an optometrist, but we didn't have anyone in business and our family, friends. And my dad was like, you know, I have a cousin in Mexico who runs a cheese plant, like a factory for cheese. I knew you didn't know that part. I didn't know that. So I was like, well, call him. Let's see if I can go spend the summer in Mexico. So my tío said yes. My tío Car- my other tío Carlos, we call him tío Charlie, in León, Guanajuato. And he said I could go spend some weeks there. Uh, he's essentially the chief financial officer of this, the the Latin American uh, branch of this American cheese company. So I hit up my friend Rob. And I was like, hey, do you want to go to Mexico for an internship? Because I knew he didn't have one either because he's from Watsonville, which is pretty much yeah. pretty similar to Oxnard. So he's like, I'm down. So we both went, made up our own internship, totally made it up. I rotated. I, I basically just sat with like the head of accounting, the head of marketing. So I got to learn all these different aspects of how a company is run, things that I would have never been exposed to at all. And Fast forward real quick, years later, the company's called Schreiber. They make cheese for like, I don't know if I'll get the brands right today, but typically they work for brands like uh, Burger King, McDonald's, uh, Kirkland brand, Costco okay. cheese. And in Mexico, it's the it's the largest manufacturer of American like yellow sliced cheese. So kind of random, but that it was popping off. Like exactly. they're making a lot of cheese. It was, it's really good cheese. So anyway, so that taught me, oh, well, I guess what happened in the fast forwarding, they invited me to speak at their like big diversity HR summit and it was snowing. So I had to be do it through video chat way before video chat was really a thing. So I was live streamed in and they introduced me as their first international intern. And I was like, I did us made that up. Like I made it up completely. (laughs) And they, my Theo said, yes, you know, but it's like, that's how a lot of things happen where you just ask someone for help. Anyway. So that was the first one. I think it helped my resume because then I met a recruiter for Target at this Latino business conference. I had started an organization to help because I realized while I was in Mexico, I was like, I had this experience only because we happen to know someone. I thought I didn't until this moment, right? I was like, but most of us don't. Most of us don't have role models in our families, in our neighborhoods, or people in companies that we can hit up, not even to like sponsor our group or whatever, not even to give us a job, just to tell us like, what is the job? What does a day-to-day even look like? And so I started this group while in Mexico. I made my little sponsorship pamphlet. I made a little logo. I wanted to be called the LBC, the acronym, because I like Snoop Dogg. So I was (laughs) like, Latino Business Connection. So I started this group, and I cold emailed a bunch of companies. And I said, hey, I have a group of students that want to learn about careers at companies like yours. So I made a list of my friends who I thought I could convince to join my club. I was like, it's like 60 of us. And then I went back to school, and I was like, of all these companies that want to hire us and and meet us and stuff. So kind of create a mount supply and demand. And it popped off. So I raised money. All state sponsored us to go to this conference in Chicago. So we all went like three friends got jobs from that conference that led them down like ones in Wall Street, ones in retail at at Macy's. Like it just really catalyzed people. It was that platform moment. But I met a recruiter for Target there. And I didn't know I was networking. I didn't really know how networking, I was just being myself and just talking. And so he kept in touch with me and I was like, I think he's trying to recruit me, but their internship is for juniors. And I was a sophomore and I was like, almost trying to play hard to get. Like, I finally was like, do you know how old I am? Like, I don't think I'm qualified for this. And he's like, we see potential. We make exceptions. And I was like, oh, all right. And so he's like, so what do you love? 
and I didn't have anyone coaching me and how to nail an interview or how to get the role you want. And I was like, I like food. And I, you know, you know, my background, yeah. I love food, cake decorating, all these things. And so he saw that I had interned at this cheese company. So I got the role. I flew to Minneapolis for the summer. And one of our cousins was like, do you wear a red like vest, like yeah, Target? And Target. I was, <laughs> it might've been you. Somebody asked me that. Cause like, I worked for Target, but I was a cashier. I was, right. I was, I was, it was uh, my sophomore year when I was going to Ventura college and for my summer job I was working as a cashier at, at Target. That might've been the, the connection point yeah. where you're like, do you wear a vest too? <laughs> I didn't get to wear a vest. I think they're cool. But, um, I was at headquarters and I ended up working on the supply chain team and merchandising. So basically I would work with buyers who decide what is on the shelves in all the stores and the food area specifically. And I was like in, in like pantry kitchen pantry essentials, which is like the stuff you always have, like pasta, peanut butter. Mm -hmm. My one claim to fame, I called my mom. I was like, mom, tell everyone to buy peanut butter at target because I get to order every jar of peanut butter at every single target. <laughs> oh shit. Like, I, thought I was popping up. Yeah. I was spending, I was like, I don't know, 19 spending millions of dollars on peanut butter. And it was just like a click, you know, the, my, this mentor I made, he's like, do you want to order all the peanut butter? And I was like, oh, yes. I was like <laughs> feeling so cool anyway. But what was really cool is, um, I was on a team with three guys and typical and corporate women mm -hmm. are underrepresented, you know? So I'm there and, and they're all super analytical. I know this is a long story long, but I get into it. So, um, the details though of the story are kind of interesting because they, they made it look like we have to have a, we have, they just actually, inter, the target internship wasn't designed where they give us a role. They're just like, find a problem and go solve it. And so they were like, we need to figure out like, like a problem we need to solve and create a tool and use Excel. And I didn't know how to use Excel at all. So I was like, I, how am I going to contribute? Because I don't even know what they're talking about. Yeah. And so I just set up coffees with everyone. And it was funny because later I realized, oh, I did what I do best. I'm an extrovert. I like connecting with people. So I just had coffees with everyone and was like, oh, hopefully they don't mind an intern hitting them up. I don't want to learn about their experience. And what I realized was my background in sociology, that's what I studied in college. I was doing research, right? I was yeah, asking 100%. everyone, mm -hmm. tell me about your experience. And what I learned was that every single buyer who's buying, you know, the chocolate and the towels and whatever across the company, none of them knew when the inventory would run out because they have to buy in such massive quantities to, comp to compete with Walmart because they have a lot of the same vendors. Let's say Oreos. Walmart's selling crazy amounts of Oreos and Target's going to sell less, but they have to buy them at the same quantity, right? Anyway, long story long, they didn't have a way to know. So they were just kind of guessing when they would reorder and they had warehouses full of stuff and they were paying all these inventory warehousing fees because they have to have all this space to sort. So I get into the details of it. I nerd out on it because I came back to the team and I was like, I figured out the problem. They don't know how to figure out when to buy the products. And we just have to estimate, you know, on average, how often are they look mm -hmm. at the data? How often are you placing another order? Make an, I was like, just make an equation like magic. Someone's going to figure it out. <laughs> I don't know how to do that, but y'all can figure it out and just make it so that the spreadsheet will alert them to buy more. So then they're not guessing anymore. You save money. We ended up saving them millions of dollars just in that one department and they applied it across the company. Jeez. So the vice president was like, I want to give you an offer to come back full time, but I don't think you're going to take it. And I was like, no, like I meant to be in California, but I love the experience though. So it was cool. It felt good to leave thinking, I don't know how to add value. I'm a fish out of water. I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know how to do any Excel sheets, you know, equations to being the one that figured out the solution. And then that tends to be my role. It's like, I find the problem. I imagine a solution and I might not be the, like I can be the designer. I might not be the one that executes it, but they got the vision. And yeah. so we got to collab on it. So it was awesome. So then after that, you, you respectfully declined yeah. target, <laughs> you graduate from Harvard. And then 
you graduated what year? 2010. 2010. So 11 years ago? That, yeah. Wait. So so, I went to Harvard and can't do math, but sometimes I remember. (laughs) No, but I'm thinking because right after that, you get hired by Google and 11 years ago, like Google was not, 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 I don't want to call it a startup, but it was still like, it was, it was, it was blossoming. It was blossoming. So Mm -hmm. for you to get hired on for Google was a fucking huge deal. Yeah. How'd that happen? When, how did you get that offer? Like, you know, it was that another imposter syndrome like at a the little, time? A little bit. Yeah, you're right, actually, to call that out. I, I sometimes forget. It's almost like once you overcome the imposter syndrome, you can forget the moments when you had it. But mm-hmm. those are real. And like if those moments, if I hadn't pushed past it, I would have been stuck there thinking I couldn't. You know, so yeah. I think it's important to acknowledge those moments. Well, this organization I started, the LBC, Latino Business Connection, my goal was to help people find roles, not in conventional like Wall Street and consulting, because those are fine careers. But I just knew that's not for me. I went to the trade floors in New York and I was like, I would die here. Like I don't have that focus and it's just not for me. So I was like, what about other companies? So I started reaching out to other brands and thinking I want to help my friends get jobs. And I thought I want to create a legacy of like, I hope this group outlives me. I hope that people can, I want to open a door that other people can walk through even when I'm not here, you know? So I reached out to Google. I connected with the recruiter and I helped two friends get internships there connected them with her and all that. And so then they told me, they're like, when are you going to apply? And I was like, imposter syndrome moment. I was like, why would I apply to Google? I'm not an engineer. And that's all I thought they did. And they're like, no, I mean, they have legal and marketing and sales and HR. And I was like, oh, I just hadn't considered it. I was like, all right, I'll, it's a long shot. I'll apply. So I applied and, and talked to them. That was for the internship. So that was after, before my senior year. So anyway, so I, I get the internship and then I almost didn't take it because they wanted me in Cambridge in Boston. I was like, I don't want to be out here. And my friend who had done it, he was like, no, just get the role. And then if they make the offer, it sounds like it's formal. Just ask to be moved. Like if they want you bad enough, maybe they'll be willing to adjust. And so they did. So I was like, any chance I could be in the Bay? I'd rather be closer to family. We have a small business, all that. And um, yeah, so I ended up interning in San Francisco in digital advertising, learning how sales worked. And that's when I realized the the big thing I observed was that these companies that are advertising online were companies just like my own, right? Like small businesses that are trying to grow online. And I was like, but none of them are diverse. I don't even see female advertisers, people of color. And I was asking questions. Cause I'm like, I don't think they're ignoring us or like, no, not minorities can't advertise or anything like that. I think they just don't realize we don't know. So I was like, so what do you have to do to qualify to advertise? And they're like, you don't have to qualify. Just if you're spending online, we support our advertisers depending on what they spend. And I was like, so so anyone can technically do this? And I was asking a lot of questions. And I was like, well, small businesses like mine and, and in Oxnard, there are a lot of small businesses. And I thought, what if businesses that look like me, owners that look like us, what if we had these tools to grow online? And if we're already hustling, imagine what would happen if we have access to this technology exactly. that can help us grow. We just need to bridge that gap, right? The digital divide, as they say. And so I had my role, but I ended up doing a side project Um I love side hustles. And so I was working on helping advertisers make ads to reach Latinos. So it was funny. They were like, why are all these campaigns for wedding dresses and diapers? Like so many people trying to advertise in Spanish. And I was like, well, we got weddings and we got quinceañeras. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of us are Catholic. There's hella babies. So like, I was explaining. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was funny because I was like, wow, my real lived experience. Yes. What I learned in sociology about people trends and all that but like my my family my real experience was relevant here so that helped overcome some imposter syndrome too because i was like you know one of the only latinas people of color on the team and so being able to help the company in that way really planted a seed for me one there's an opportunity in understanding us as consumers Mm -hmm. and two 
there's a huge opportunity in reaching us as entrepreneurs. And so at the end of the summer, I presented my, my role they gave me in my little project. I'm like, yeah, yeah, here I did the thing, but here's what I really did. And so I show them how I said the side project, we translate all these campaigns. And I was signing off on campaigns because my Spanish, my Mexican American Spanish specifically was most useful because we had to cover every type of Spanish. Yeah. Like, you know, there's Latinos are all, we're so diverse, but 60 plus percent of us are Mexican. So they were like, your Spanish is what people, so I'm calling my mom like, mom, how do you say scarf in Spanish? Do we say bufanda? Like, <laughs> cause I'm like, what does abuelita say? Cause I had to make sure 100%. if we don't have those words, if people are searching bufanda, they're never gonna get the ad for that. So it was really cool. It was really cool. And then after that, they gave me the offer to come full time. So I joined after college. Jeez. So <laughs> I remember you were probably a few years in and you invite me to Google's headquarters, San Francisco. Yeah. And I'm like, this is, literally a Chuck E. Cheese, but, but for adults, <laughs> yep. every, was it every hundred feet there's food problematic, but yes, <laughs> you know, you, ha you have your yoga station, you have your mm -hmm. workout station, dance rooms. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like that, the Vince Vaughn movie. Mm -hmm. Um, what was it called? Internship, right? Yeah. So the reason why I'm going to ask that is because you're, you're in a kid's playground, you're working for Google. So obviously Google's a great job. You know, you have job security and then after 10 years, you decide to quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you, how, how, how do you explain that? What's your reasoning? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, were people, did people think you were, you know, crazy? a couple of screws out of your head? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah they were like, people still like, why'd you leave? Because, and I understand it, right? It's, it's a great company to work for. I'm very happy to have done 10 years there. Um, when I left, I had spent more time there than over 94% of the company. There was like an internal tool. So 94% of the company had been there for less time than me. So mm. people, it's like dog ears. People are there for a year and they think like they're a veteran. I'm like, I've been here for a decade. So I felt like after 10 years, I really felt complete. I felt like the mission that I didn't realize I was going to pursue there, I was able to really embark on that and not do it alone. I started Ola, which is our, our community for Latinos at Google. It was six of us. I recruited a bunch of friends and it grew and it grew. It snowballed. And now we have a presence in over 30 offices in the world. Like we're out here, the diaspora, Jeez. we're out here. Yeah. yeah. And then that led to having all these really cool projects. The, what was special about it, because there was a Latino sort of organization that existed, but there wasn't a sense of community and family and impact. And my whole thing was, we're the ones on the inside. And a lot of us care about giving back. A lot of us want to help back home and often can't, or like at our community level. And so I reached out to people and said, hey, Pep, you care a lot about fitness mm -hmm. and maybe you want to help like, you know, entrepreneurs that have their own gyms and what, you know, I did this with everyone. I was like, what would you be doing? What's your passion? What would you do outside of your day job? And maybe you said like, I, I really like jujitsu and all these things. Yeah. And I was like, cool. What if I would make it up, right? I'm like, what if you and I collaborate to do a program to reach uh, minority owned small businesses and specifically the gym owners and let's get them on Google maps. Let's make it easy to search for them. So we'd have these very specific projects or let's say Juan's like, you know what? I really care about dogs. <laughs> so I met your dog today and you know, how do we reach out to more dog lovers or whatever? I just find the, whatever people were really passionate about and build a project around that, that leverage people's passion, their actual skill set, and then the tools, the products. It's like, People don't know a lot about how to get on Google Maps. If you're not on Maps, you don't have a website, you're invisible online. A lot of small businesses are like that. So anyway, so I did all that work, but I love doing it. And what I love most is that we we launched cool projects, we marketed products, but we cultivated leaders. So when I left, we had created, I personally was involved with, they get full credit, but yeah, I'm like, I have to <laughs> acknowledge that because sometimes we don't acknowledge our, our, like our paper trail, right? Like the impact. 
actually now 16. The 16th friend just told me she's now working full time in a role related to that, that diversity, integration, alignment with technology. And it makes me so happy because it was like we had people working full time on multicultural or Latin content, whatever, across YouTube, advertising, philanthropy. So I have all these friends across the company. So I knew there were years prior to leaving that I thought, is that the time? Is it the time? There's still more work to do. But then I realized the mission I'm passionate about and feel purposefully committed to is never going to leave me. But now there's people doing the work that will continue even if I'm not here. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, you know what? I did what I came to do. I learned a lot, but I'd kind of reached my max on learning on the, like I, I knew the formula. I knew how to execute what I was doing. I knew mm -hmm. how to, you know, develop the research, put together the business pitch, explain market opportunity, do a creative brief, all these things that, you know, these steps you learn and, and how to pursue business development. Essentially. I was like, I did marketing, but I had five roles at Google. I created four from scratch with a project. Jeez. Yeah, so I would pilot it on the side, a side hustle, working late nights, mornings. I'd wake up at five in the morning sometimes. Like you're in the gym, I'm yeah. here grinding on my laptop, trying <laughs> to trying to make a business opportunity happen. Always thinking about impact. How do we create access? The word access for me is everything. So it's not that we can't have this information, or just that we haven't had access to it. And how do we do that across products, communities? And so anyway, so to the point of leaving, I realized there's still a lot more I want to do with that mission. And it's okay to leave because, and to be honest, for a long time, I thought I needed Google. And then I finally realized, well, Google needed me because I brought yeah. some of my own sauce to it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, it took me a long time to figure that one out. Believe me, it wasn't overnight at all. I mean, the moment when I really re like isolated the imposter syndrome I had and then overcame it in a big way was when I was at the table. Everyone's talking about marketing to small businesses and they were proposing strategies. And I was like, wait a minute this is for small businesses like my dad, like people I know in the community. Nobody has time. Like when people say, hey, nobody got time for that, that was the, what I felt yeah. in that moment. I was like, who would even make the time? Because <laughs> I mean, when you're a small business owner, you have a, your to-do list is crazy. Yep. So to, to check your analytics and all these things that are more tech savvy, one, it's hard to make the time. And two, they may not have the technical abilities or they can't afford to hire an intern to figure it out. And I raised my hand and I was like, you know, I actually have a small business with my family. And to be totally candid, this would be very hard to convince a small business owner to do. My dad would not even make the time for this because we have everything else to handle. Like you have to keep the lights on. This is a nice to have. It's not critical. And it felt bold. It felt like I'm here telling people like your strategy ain't shit. And I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> yeah. but it was when I realized I'm the expert of my own experience and they can't question it because I can call my dad and he can tell them exactly, exactly what I said, you know? So I really had to own my story. I think that's come up a few times now of like embracing where we're from, embracing our real experience and knowing there's a brand, there's an executive out there that's trying to figure out how to connect with people like us. So it's perspective. Yeah. And that helped me have a lot more confidence when I was talking about what I was doing. And then it led to asking for bigger budgets, launching projects. And so I felt good. I did 10 years of that. And um, my dad thought I was crazy when I left, but he, he came around. But I mean, <laughs> essentially you built the base for, for what you had at Google. And now people are building off of that base, yes. which is your whole goal. Yes. So yeah, yeah. perfect time exactly. to leave. Thanks. We left off talking about how one of the people who were, who were questioning your decisions to leave Google was your parents, your dad mm -hmm. specifically. Um, how did he take it when you decided to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the corporate world. I'm going to go figure my life out. Oh, I mean, it was it was even months before that, even just talking about it. You know, I'm close to my parents. I appreciate their their input on things and you know, they're smart. I, you know, I care about their opinion on 
I hope to feel like I make them proud, you sure. know? And so, so yeah, anyway, so I was sharing with them what I was thinking. And I, even when I hinted at it, I could see my dad look visibly uncomfortable. Like I was about to give this man hives. Like he looked so nervous. <laughs> and eventually I just kept pushing a little bit, just explaining it. And what I realized was they didn't get it. My mom was more like, she's like, Mija, if you move home and sell t-shirts, it'll be fine. And I was like, what? Like, that's not quite the <laughs> encouragement yeah. I'm looking for. Yeah. But she was sort of like, I know you'll be okay. For you know, sure. um, it was kind of a funny delivery, but that's what she meant. But my dad definitely did not, he wasn't about it. He didn't, he didn't understand it. And I think, I think what I had to realize was he just wants me to be safe and secure. You know, he came from Mexico when he was four. He and my mom are both first gen college grads. So they worked hard and I know a driving factor for me has always been, they push so hard. I want to keep it going, you know, beyond that. But that also meant the pressure is on of like, well, what are you doing actually? Exactly. So, so I remember um, finally realizing, like, well, I have to explain to him a little bit more. And, and he may still not get it, but at least so he knows I'm not crazy. I'm not just jumping off the deep end. I have ideas. And and the way that I did things at Google was sort of the way I do things all the time, which is, you know, I'm in a role. I'm prototyping, piloting things on the side. And if it makes sense, then I'm going to pursue it. Like, I'm already in it. So I know I'm not I'm not just, like, Jumping off the deep end, like I said. And you're also phenomenal at networking. Thank you. So that, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's like a big thing is like yeah. making sure that when you leave Google, you also have those people that you can mm-hmm. email, call, text and be like, For hey, sure. remember me from Google? Mm-hmm. I'm starting up. Yeah. I mean, they say your network is your net worth. And One thousand percent. I value that so much and not in a transactional way as much as like, let's help each other out. And also knowing I've helped a lot of people. I, I felt confident that they care about me if I need anything or, or not just needing something. But if there's an opportunity to collaborate, they'd be there. And so anyway, I think the pandemic really opened my eyes a lot because I started diving into Latina Soup Brunch and doing a lot there around online content, programming, I hired digital producers. Can you, can you can, I know I want, I was going to bring that up later yeah. on, but what exactly is, for people who don't know, what is yeah. Latina Soup Brunch? So Latina Soup Brunch is a community of badass Latinas that's across the country. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome. And yes, yeah, so we started with six of us brunching and it evolved now. We're in 17 states, 17,000 followers on Instagram. And it's all about supporting one another, supporting one another, not competitive, not catty at all. I, I think there's a lot of networking events. There's a lot of businessy things, but you don't often have an environment where you can just be authentic and be vulnerable and where it's not a competition, where it's actually meant to be supportive. And so it became, it grew so much. It was just an idea. And I would show up to brunches around the country when I was traveling for work. And then I ended up having people, you know, run with it even in bigger than I ever imagined it to be. And so now we have chapters in different states. And through that though, you know, pandemic happens, couldn't brunch in person. So I always knew I wanted to get into the media realm. I didn't think it'd be through brunching. So I pivoted to, we started doing virtual brunches, but then we started doing like online classes and workshops, like Latinas who cook, Latinas who yoga, Latinas who read, all types of different activities. So I thought we are a community and people right now need that. In the community, they need connection and they need consistency. When the world feels like it's flipped on its head, like let's show up and know, make sure people know we're here. And so it was like for about a month straight, I did three shows every day, 9am, 10am, 5pm. And it was another person sharing their talent. We did sound bath healing. We did interviews with, um, you know, Latino authors, all kinds of things. And it was amazing. It was really, really cool. I had fun producing the show and we're bringing it back soon again. But, um, so anyway, so through that though, I loved realizing how much autonomy I had, how much freedom I had and how I was creating a team around me 
and they just got it. Where at Google, I was doing multicultural marketing. I created this for the first time. Google had never done any segmented marketing for any particular audience before. So like, when you say segmented marketing, what does that mean? So in my case, I was looking at diverse minority groups in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So looking at needs. So, you know, Latinos uh, underrepresented in terms of use of laptops or overrepresented in how much we use smartphones and YouTube and businesses, uh, you know, entrepreneurship. So I would propose the business opportunity that way. Or, you know, whenever I did something that worked, I convinced them, all right, well, now let me see how is it relevant to the black community, the Asian community that have different needs, but we're all not in the conversation. So how do we show up in community, do marketing strategies that are relevant to them and make them the heroes, you know? So anyway, so having that approach where it's not just like one brand for everyone, because someone once told me, and it's a thing people say, if you're trying to reach everyone, you're reaching no one. Like if you go niche, and it's authentic, people can feel that. And they yeah. know you're really trying to make a connection with them. So that was always my goal in terms of reaching underserved, underestimated communities in the U.S. But imagine, like, there's minorities in other countries. That had never been done before. Mm -hmm. So I launched a project, for example, we were marketing a product, the first bilingual digital ad campaign ever for B2B, business to business. So Was this was this while you were at Google or yeah. when you, okay. Yeah, so just as an example, while I was there, I did this launch. We did bilingual advertising, tested a bunch of stuff, different ways, like, alternating English and Spanish and different things because I was like, some of us speak English. It's not just about Spanish anymore. Spanish doesn't define us. Mm -hmm. um, it can be culture, right? That's the connection point. Anyway, so the general market team in one week got 12,000 impressions on their hashtag. Great, solid results. And I was like, cool. In that same week, because I was doing it my way, being in community with amazing partner groups, digital ads, social, all the things... We got 12 million impressions. Holy shit. <laughs> so that doesn't matter if it's brown strategy or a regular strategy. Like, it was a smart strategy. Exactly. Oh, I like that. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. It's a smart strategy. Hell I always yeah. tell people it's not Hispanic, Latin strategy. If it's good, it's just smart strategy. Yeah. yeah. But it was cool because they were like, wait, what? Like, they didn't even, they couldn't wrap their heads around the results because that's just, I love data because it's like, you can't argue with the data points when it's like, I control for all variables, same week, same product we're marketing, everything. It's just my way of doing it, which a lot of people didn't understand. I had, I was always in, at events, at conferences and speaking to people and finding volunteers to help me launch these ad campaigns and doing things like with real people, you know, not like, oh, like this, let's just hire an agency and hope it works. Like I did hire agencies and we worked together. So anyway, it was really cool. And when they realized the value was they were like, oh, we could use this to reach French speakers in Canada and all the different languages in India. And I was like, yes, mm. multicultural strategy in the U.S. is global strategy. We just have this little petri dish in the U.S. of all this diversity, but this applies globally. So anyway, so I say that because I was always working with teams I always like to say proposed and opposed. My friend Anthony taught me that. So I was like, I can't get mad that we're not being prioritized as a minority group, as a demographic, but I can take this as an opportunity. I always say, don't get mad, get strategic. Cause sometimes I'd be like, they really just didn't think of this, but it's not their fault, right? Sometimes people don't know what they don't know. It's not a priority cause they don't get it. And so when I had these wins showing the results of what it looks like when you do true culturally relevant marketing and you tell authentic stories and do this right and, and really do it right, build relationships with partner groups, have them know that yes, you can trust us as a company because we're showing up and I care. Like my my reputation in the community is on the line if I don't deliver and stuff yeah. like that and my job. But that really taught me a lot about how I can believe in this work and the mission, but part of what led me to want to leave was when I realized with Latinos Who Brunch, I don't have to pitch anybody. 
I get to call the shots and I have a team that understands what I'm saying, what I'm doing. And if I said, Hey, I think we should pivot and do, you know, wellness content impact support small businesses. Everyone was down. I didn't have to make another business case, another pitch deck. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like it. There's sort of a rush of trying to convince someone to see what they don't understand and then getting them on, yeah. on board that I, I value it. And I, I still coach a lot of people to know how to do that. Did you ever feel, and I'm sorry to cut you off, but did you ever feel that, a lot of these pitches, like yeah, you just say like, like you you would get like adrenaline, but you also knew like fuck, I'm gonna pitch this, but I know that this person who's watching is probably just looking at me as just a woman and a minority, and I I mean mm-hmm. I it I I bring it up because I know that you know I I. I I read and I listen to a lot of like inspirational women and, and that's one of the biggest things that they talk about, yeah. especially like I, I just, listened, I just read a uh, Priyanka's book mm. and she says the same thing. She's like, I would be in these rooms and people would know me, but I know off the bat that this Caucasian man is not going to give me the time of day because of my sex and because mm-hmm. of my color. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if I have a fucking multi-billion dollar idea. There's, there's no way in hell he's going to approve of it. Yeah, did you, I mean, did you, were you in that same, in the same boat? I've definitely experienced that. I mean, the skepticism is real and there are moments where I was like, I mean, even down to realizing they're just looking at my hair on my face and that's like eyes up here, like uh, distracting, you know, and just being, being different, being other. And, and that's why I nerd out on the data so much because what I realize is like, if they're distracted and skeptical and they see me and they're like, I've never seen someone like you in this environment. I don't know what you can deliver. So I got really good at telling a really good story with data. And then I would say like the, the data gets the meeting, but the story pulls the heartstrings where I'm like, here's the data that makes this valuable. Here's the strategy I'm proposing, but here's the story of the real business owner, the real person that we're reaching. And here's how you will win and how we can win together. And ultimately I think people want to win. And so if I explain to them, like you can do good and do well, and let me show you how. And I had to keep building up my record. And when they told me no, I was like, you know what? Let me just circle back in a minute. Like they don't get it yet or they don't believe I'm the one who can do it or, or whatever. The, whatever the questions were, or the doubts were, I tried not to take it personally. There were plenty of times where it, it's, it feels defeating, where it's just mm-hmm. like, come on. Like if this guy <laughs> or anybody else next to me said it, would you listen to that? You know? So it it's disheartening. It can really be hard. But I think that part of what, help me get through it. Cause I'm like, I don't have the answer to say, ignore it. Right. Or like, Oh, they're crazy. It's not real. No, it is real. It's a real feeling. But I think what helped me get past it was believing in myself enough to take the risks they wouldn't. So I found sponsors. I found people who were willing to invest in me, give me budgets. I had a pitch for, it, I had to work for it, but let's say I pitched a team. Let's pretend this road product here next to it. I don't know. I want to to acknowledge any brand. I'm trying to think of... Let's say, let's acknowledge the Pep Talk brand. All right. Yeah. So let's say Pep Talk, let's say there's Because Rose not paying us yet. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say I'm like, everyone needs to hear this Pep Talk podcast. There's two amazing co-hosts. They're amazing. They're incredible. And I'm trying to pitch a brand to sponsor you guys, right? And maybe there's people that are like, mm, I don't know. I don't get it. Who are they? Who Like, are they really reaching a big audience? I'm like, all right, maybe they don't get it. But we can come back to them with results. So what if... I find uh, maybe a small business that would be willing to sponsor. So let's go down a notch, not to degrade the final goal or to like, you know, kind of dilute it, but to have an example, or maybe I invest in it. So in the Google context, if a team said no to me, I'd say, okay, well, can I test something using that brand? Like let's say a Chromebook campaign, Google Play, YouTube, whatever. And so I would seed invest in this. So I had my own little budget. I wasn't tied to any one product. I would apply whatever I had pitched for and would execute. And so I'd show them, look at what I did with this amount of budget, which is so small compared to what they're 
full-time job budgets look like. And I'd say like, look, look at the results I got. You can magnify that exponentially if you put your resources, your reputation on the line. And I didn't say it that way. I learned it later. I was like, if people are willing to put their reputation and the resources on the line, then you know they're committed. Exactly. So sometimes though, it was like, it was a challenge. Like the, the no up front made me work smarter and harder to create the example I needed to then make it foolproof where it's like, now how would you say no to me? I got the results. I, I proved that what I'm saying makes sense. Exactly. I have tangible results. I have data to prove it. I have the case studies, the testimonials, everything. And if you want more of this, well, then I'm the one who should do it because I already did it. So I like making it very easy for people to say yes to me. <laughs> <laughs> with 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 leaving with leaving Google and, and you starting your own, I mean, you're entrepreneur. What do you do now? I love I, that question. And it's t- and the reason why I ask is because, yeah, like, I, like I said earlier, your the, your resume is is incredible. But I feel like you're you dabble in so much, but you're like I don't even know how to put it put yeah. it into words. No, yeah. I, I, and my answer can change every day. But I will say, um, what I do the most, I think, it's like, well, I'll I'll say it this way: go high level and come back down. So I believe in three things: community, content, commerce. It's sort of an ecosystem that I envisioned a long time ago because I realized if you create community, the audience, that's, that was a big part of my success at Google was building an authentic community of influencers, business owners, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of power in people, right? Having that network of people. And then it's like, well, how do you engage them? Creating content. So, you know, I have Latinas who brunch. I have my in my element content. I do a whole bunch of things working with influencers and stuff like that. And then from a commerce perspective, I always think, well, I can promote any brand out there. Mm-hmm. I worked at Google. I've, you know, consulted different companies, but what if I help our companies try to win? So I consult and coach startup founders. So people who are creating technology and I help them do marketing, general marketing normally, but I remind them like, if you happen to be a, div- a diverse founder, you have a very unique background that enables you to connect with multicultural audiences even more so it's a fun mix of all right what's the marketing strategy how are you building the technology all that plus how what what like how do you go to market how are you reaching diverse communities so i've done some investing in some startups too which has been really cool and so are you allowed to speak on any uh small small businesses that you work that you worked on that have made successful stories yeah uh for sure so for example um snowball wealth is one that i'm super passionate about my friend Tanya founded it. It's her second startup. Her last one, Makers Row, was already successful. It's her second time as a founder. It's all about helping people build generational wealth. So it's an app that en- enables people to learn how to manage their finances. You know, how do you pay off debt? How do you prepare to invest? And for a lot of us that are first gen or first to really think about generational exactly. wealth, sometimes you don't know who to ask. And it's like, as a financial planner, does that make sense? Who do you trust? So she's building technology to put it in people's hands to learn how to do that. So I invested in her and helped her over the years and I fully believe in her and she's raised multiple millions of dollars, which I'm very proud multiple of. Multiple millions. Multiple millions. Shit. Yeah. So, um, so we're not playing with like thousands. We're talking oh, no, no, about no. millions. We're talking about big dogs only. Big, wow, <laughs> let's go. Big dogs let's go. I've been dying to say that for so long. <laughs> she's, she loves dogs and she has her, uh, her yeah. dog, Mr. Pickles. Anyways, so that's one. Another one is um, my two friends of mine um amazing entrepreneurs so mario amado out of houston miles Montes out of la they have doc space so that's a platform to help doctors launch all of their business of being a doctor like my dad spent years having to do it all manually behind the scenes medical records billing everything so when they told me what they were doing i was like wait you're building the tool my dad needed 30 years ago and he still needs today it's a little late for him he's on his way out toward retirement but i was like 
if my dad had this, I would have had a dad on the weekends because he was working. Damn. Like it would save so much time and it's so expensive to start your own practice as a doctor. And I'm like, this is going to help so many people get better care from the doctors and it's going to help the doctors focus on medicine on what they do best. So they've raised multiple millions of dollars too. I'm proud to be one of their investors. And I got my dad to angel invest with me. Wow. His first time investing ever, ever, ever in a startup company. So that's been a cool part of the journey. So not only does my dad now support me having left Google, <laughs> he's now joining me on this venture of, uh, being an investor so let's go, let's go Theo. <laughs> so those are two but another one is uh twister for sugar so totally different realm of business she makes the bombest latino flavored cotton candy it's not really what does a latino taste like it's what are latino <laughs> flavors so <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, hi. you're like we might edit that out so imagine cotton candy that's all natural 100 calories a little pint it's awesome tastes like abuelita chocolate mango con tajin sandia wow. like horchata it is so good and she started i invited her to google back i met her then wanted to interview more small business owners and she brought me her product and i was like this is incredible it's i can't even put into words how amazing this is because it feels like you're eating the thing and it's just like light and awesome anyway and so i told her i was like you could do catering for like companies like mm -hmm. people hire we had holiday parties people hire businesses like yours and I didn't know that it was planting a seed in her. It's funny. You don't often know how your words might impact someone. I had no idea. I was just like, oh, you should cater events, things like that. She not only sells the products online, you can order them. She has a team of people in multiple states now doing catering events where she's twisting the cotton candy at the venue. She catered Cardi B's birthday party. Who's? Cardi B. Oh, shoot. <laughs> she has done events for Ellen Show. She's done Warner Brothers, like all these major companies. And then she'll put their brand on the thing. She does all these cute things. So years later, she's like, you told me that I should cater companies. And now that's a big part of her business. And huh. she's killing it. So I'm super mom, Latina mom, who she tells her story publicly. She was trying to get over having postpartum depression how to be home with her kids more, taking care of her mental health. And she's like, what can I do from home? And also, you know, she's an extra, she's super creative. She built it from scratch by herself. And I'm like, that's a company worth betting on. Dang. Wow. Ellie, why do you advocate so much for Latinos or Latinos, Latinx? How come? Where, where, where did that drive from? I know you and me share that passion, but mm -hmm. I've, I've put myself out there to, to all my platforms. But how come you, you push it so hard? I really think we're worth it. I think that our community is very special. I advocate for communities that deserve access and have potential. So, you know, I don't, I don't deny my clear love and passion for our community, but I try to extend that to others like us too. I think it's, like I said, I call it the paradox of opportunity. I'm like, we might be, you know, the, we might be underrepresented in, in corporate America in leadership roles in, there's all these challenges that face our community big time um you know mass incarceration there's all kinds of yeah. things that are held against us uh the fact that our community is growing faster than any other demographic is a huge signal like my heart is so committed to our community because i just think like we work so hard and our families work so hard that anything i can do to open the door keep it open pass the baton on like it's incredible to see the res like people do something with it. You know, they, they step up and they're like, there's so much that we didn't know we weren't exposed to, but once you open our eyes or, or, you know, like hand us that olive branch or whatever it is, there's so much we can do. So 
it makes me happy. Like it generally makes me happy. I think our culture is beautiful. And I hate the discrimination against our community where it's like, if you even you if you came to our family parties, do you know how much fun we have? <laughs> exactly. Like our canasalas are amazing. You know, our community has so much to offer. These stigmas, the stereotypes are unfair. So I think that's a big part of it. But also when it comes to like, let's say investments, who's going to hustle harder than a Latina mother? Period. Period. You're right. And who's over indexing and use of smartphone chismosas? Yeah, we're telling everybody. <laughs> like, you know, we're putting on for all our small business friends and and sharing things that matter. I mean, that's a big part of it. But like, let's say just from a business standpoint, like I don't lead with that. I don't. I don't ever want to sell our community to a brand just because we're going to make some money. Like I always try to make sure it aligns with our values, that it adds value to our community too. But that was that was one of the most fun parts. Was like. You can't step to me if I have all this data that shows the incredible numbers around. We're 10 years younger than the average consumer as a community. So when a brand's thinking about the Latino or like just when a brand is thinking about their consumer base, well, that life cycle of a, cons of a consumer is longer with us because we're younger. Right. Yeah. And we're having more kids than the average community and the average person in any community. And so there's so much value that I think is impressive inspiring and when i hear the stories of people in our community doing incredible things i'm like we need more of those and we just need to light the fire under people or connect them to that mm -hmm. the resources the access i think it's we're unstoppable do you also do do you do like uh not ted talks but um do you do ted talks like do, do you do you do you speak at yeah events and mm -hmm. yeah i love it i think it's really um it's an honor to be honest i mean it's like if someone out there thinks that I'm worth hiring to do a talk. I appreciate it. So sometimes I'll get invited by, let's say, nonprofits, organizations, schools. But I've done more now that I left Google. I've done a lot more talks. So, I, for example, I was hired by Verizon, um, Capital One. I've done talks for SC Johnson, Netflix, Lyft. And so they bring me in and I tell my story and it's pretty awesome. You know, I, I, I know uh, I, I knew I was going to ask this question. I just didn't know when, right? Breaking the odds, being successful, being a Latina, you know, you're in your thirties, but at the same time too, we are, we are, we are Mexican American and we're Catholic <laughs> and we're in our thirties. And the question, especially for women is kids, mm -hmm. marriage mm -hmm. is any, uh, do you like, is that, how does that work in, in, in the world that you're in now? Cause I feel like you're so driven yeah. and you're so passionate about your career. Yeah. And also, I have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, that's real. Um, yeah, I mean, it's something my friends and I talk about a lot. I have a lot of amazing chingona best friends who are killing it. And some of them have kids, some don't. A lot of us don't. And I think it's just a matter of, you know, what, what we value, what's most important to us. So uh, my family's never pressured me to get married or have kids at all. I know it's a very real pressure for many people. It's It's more common than not. Like, people always joke about, like, really any time of the year but especially during the holidays people are like el novio or like where's the of boyfriend mm. i'm like let's ask el negocio where's the business <laughs> i love that <laughs> but um i think i think my parents never put pressure on me about it because they know i'm just on another track you know and i have different goals things that that i love and the lifestyle i've chosen brings me so much joy and, and keeps me on my toes and so slowing down what feels like slowing down for me to let's say have kids I, I don't feel like that's my heart's not in it yet. Yeah. And I, okay. and I, whenever I choose to have children, I, if, and when it happens, I, I want to feel like, I don't know if you're ever ready to have kids. People with kids say they're never ready, but I think part of it too is like one, I want it to be when I feel ready in my own way or just like, okay, that's the thing I want to do now. Cause I also think 
being intentional is really important. Either be intentional about focusing on your work or be intentional about starting a family. Like I don't want to half-ass going about it. You know, I want to be really ready and and even financially ready in in many ways. There's a lot of decisions that go into it. Um, But I also think part of it for me was about letting myself define what success looks like for me. Because for many people, I think the reason why it's um, such a norm is that people think that that is a measure of success in life. And that may be for a lot of people. I think that's beautiful. I, I'm so happy that many of my friends have kids or my cousins have kids and I'm happy for them. But I also know people who feel a lot of pressure feeling like I'm in my 30s and I and I can't believe I'm not married yet or don't have kids yet. And I'm really happy that I don't feel that way. Not talking down on anyone who does feel that. I, If anything, I have compassion for them. I just think like, do you, whatever makes you happy. If, and there's a lot of ways to have kids. There's a lot of ways to make these life decisions. There's no one path at all, but yeah, I mean, I, my dad asked once like me, like, you know, if you ever want to settle down, (laughs) kind of like he was basically saying, how's it going to fit? I was in Morocco when he asked me that over the phone and I was like, well, Bobby, there will be a time when I choose to have that in my life. And, um, either it's not now or it's bringing it along for the ride, you know? Exactly. Um, I have a few questions that I always like to end the show with. A couple of them is this one is early on when you first, first, first started your, when you're leaving Google, mm-hmm. what was the biggest fear you had? I think the biggest fear I had was, do I have the right people around me to make my dreams come true? Because I was really blessed that I had a team at Google, but this community I created of other leaders was everything to me. I mean, I knew I was never alone. I was I was spearheading things, but knew I could hit up Quan and Pep to help me with whatever, and they had their skills, and and that I was around people who said yes and. That's really big a big theme for me. It's an improv thing, right? Where it's like, I don't like being around naysayers who don't add value and just say that's not going to work. It's not mm-hmm. going to make sense. So I was like, not only do I not want to be around those kind of people, but am I around the people who help me think bigger and, and help me actually do it, get it done? And so I realized, though, that there are people who maybe couldn't join me full time, but were amazing advisors and they were there if I needed. So I think the antidote to the fear was just reaching out, asking for help, keeping my, my cheer support squad very close because it is scary to be an entrepreneur. And it, I mean, uh, one of my earliest coaches said leadership is lonely and that's real. You know, it's like when you have a vision and you're the only one who sees it, it's nice to know there's other people around you who are cheering you on, who are saying, yes, you can go do it or, or helping you to do it. And so yeah, I think part of it was one remembering to reach out to the people who I value, who who literally help me or who advise me and cheer me on, or just remembering like I have everything I need and I don't need to doubt that. And and my career at Google was in very very many ways shaped by yes, my plan, my vision, but sponsors that supported and supported me and literally invested in me. They took a bet on me and and so the scary part was taking the bet on myself, but it's been worth it. And so now, at this point, what is your biggest fear now? My biggest fear now is that I'm not thinking big enough. So, yeah, like if I'm going to do it, I want to do it well. I don't want to do it right. I want to go well, big or go home, you know? Well, what is what is big enough? Like, I mean, I can see just off of this interview, but also, too, just like knowing you is, man, I could see you somewhere in the political field. I can also, <laughs> I can also see you being the next Latina Oprah. I can also see you like, you know, there's so many things you want to like, you want to navigate Own your yeah. own, like Warner brothers, your own yeah. media. Mm-hmm. But what is, what is like the, the, the big picture? Yeah. I think for me, it is about, it's those three things I told you, right? Community content commerce. And that's not just like an abstract thing. It's like, 
building an audience around media and making sure we're telling good stories. I'm on the, the advisory council for the Latino Film Institute. I'm very proud to be the outlier from tech with all these you know media executives that happen to look like us who mm-hmm. are making big moves for us in that way. And so I love being able to add my, my take on it. And I think for me, there's so much value in prioritizing media because it scales messages really quickly. So if I think, okay, how can I help people learn about a small business they can support or a startup or wellness, mindfulness, how do we create content that can inspire people and reach them in authentic ways so they're actually listening? And through that, well, it's like if someone's going to advertise during a media spot, then why not advertise the small business I just invested in or the startup I'm consulting and build up those businesses? So to me, it's like, how do I create a platform so that people, it's like you said earlier, how can I build the platform that other people can build with me? And how do we mm-hmm. build together? So part media, but also, I mean, I'm loving doing stuff with, with these startups and small businesses, being able to deep dive into their teams and grow that. And so people have asked me if I want to be Latina Oprah. And I'm like, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of responsibility to carry that title. But taking the plunge into it and just to know that, like I said, am I thinking big enough? I can do it in the form of TikTok content and YouTube content. And then there's a world in which I can do it pitching shows and starting a network. And so, you know, I'm not working on that every day, but I know that, like I said, everything I've done has built on itself. These projects that lead to the next role. So what I try to do to overcome the fear is start somewhere, even if I'm not working toward the biggest part of the strategy yet, knowing that that's the why, that's where I'm headed, doing things along the way that help me get there. Am I connecting with the right people who have the relationships or know how to do it to get there? Mm -hmm. Am I creating those examples? Like I'm prototyping and piloting all day i filmed two show pilots when i was in miami last and i'm working on getting those edited next and it's like okay when the time comes and i'm ready to pitch either a brand to sponsor it or a network to carry it or whatever i have those examples because just explaining like there's a lot of to be candid there's a lot of white guys who can pitch an idea with the deck and get millions of dollars exactly and that's not the case for our community yet that's not the case for women yet so until that is the case until people believe enough then i'm like i'm gonna spend my time creating all those examples the fact that i can tell you about startups i'm investing in yeah i want to fund one day i can't wait to tell people about these companies i've already invested in look at their success now let's go do more look at the show i prototyped and piloted let's go do more so like i said i like making it very easy for people to say yes to me and say yes and like add their own sauce to it let's make it bigger before you get to to the other questions because i know you have the other ones but i might be backtracking with this question but i just wanted to get your I guess I wanted to get it redefined for me, the word entrepreneur, what it means to you. Because I feel like as kids during high school, you know, when people start asking, what do you want to do with your life? What career do you want? No one ever says entrepreneur because it's so vague that no one knows exactly what it means. What does it mean to you? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because I always said until about a year ago, I said there aren't there were no entrepreneurs in my family. Mm -hmm. There aren't people in marketing and business that I could look to. And I realized about a year ago, I was like, wait, my dad's two sisters own jewelry stores. Mm -hmm. That's being an entrepreneur. I never thought that was that because I don't know how people paint the idea of an entrepreneur. I didn't think that was it. But to answer the question, though, like what is an entrepreneur? I think an entrepreneur is someone who has a vision and wants to create value and bring it to people to market and Hope that they pay you for it. It's it's typically a business, but I think, you know, you know, there's a, there's a market opportunity. There's, there's products you can create, but I also think like I was an entrepreneur at Google, which is a play on entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And that's about creating something that didn't exist before and making it tangible, making it real, getting people to work with you or hiring people to do it. So like I said, it could be a small business. It can be a startup. It can be a product. It can be 
videos where I'm explaining to people how to do the work I do and people pay for it. I had a coaching program earlier this year. I'm going to launch it again, teaching people how to ignite their own light again. Yeah. People were just down and people paid me for that. And it's like, you can sell knowledge, you can sell products, you can sell a lot of things. And social entrepreneurship means you're selling things and you're doing good while you do it. So that's, that's, I hope that more entrepreneurs think of them as social entrepreneurs that care about that impact. But regardless, I think it's, it's also playing by your own rules. It's not working in an established system. It's, creating your own playground where you can make things happen. Right. Well, well kind of the reason you left Google now, yeah. it seems like through the stories you've told us through other businesses that you helped out, you're like an entrepreneur that makes entrepreneurs. Yes. That's why I like to say I help stars turn into superstars. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Ellie, one of your, uh, one of the bullets on your resume that I read was also 2017. You were on Forbes 30 under 30. Mm-hmm. How was, what was your reaction when you, when you got that, that title. You want the real answer? Yeah. All right. I didn't know I had been nominated for the Forbes list. I didn't know it was the season of nominations and, and people who had been accepted to the list that it was time for that at all. And a friend who I hadn't talked to since college tagged me in a post on Facebook congratulating me. And I was like, what is this? So I thought it was a joke. I was like, this isn't real. Like, we haven't talked in forever. Why is he, like, is he punking me? Like, yeah. this is so random. And I was like, maybe this is real. Like, Maybe I made the list. I don't know. And so I Googled myself, like Eliana Murillo Forbes, and I was on the list. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I didn't even know this was possible. Like, it wasn't on my radar at all. And it was just so random. And I read the description of why I got it, like what they said, you know, the things they were crediting me for. And I was like, yeah, that's some of my proudest work. Like, you know, doing all these things for small businesses to get online and getting out the Latino vote, nonpartisan effort to make sure people know where to vote. All these different things that I had worked really hard on that, you know, you do the day to day at work. You don't get like participation awards, you know. So this was really cool because it felt like whoever, you know, the admissions committee or whoever vets people for the list, that they really did their homework and they they found the things that I was really proud of. And so it felt good. And to be one of the few Latinas on the list meant a lot to me. Hell yeah. So three pieces of advice that you would give to somebody who is trying to take you out. I'd say remember always present over perfect as a recovering pe perfectionist. That matters a lot to me. Like you just got to start. It may not be perfect. Just, just keep going and keep trying. So present over perfect. That's number one. And I have to remember that all the time. Number two is related, but a little bit different. It's intention over insecurity. And I have to check myself on that a lot because sometimes I'm like, I don't know, will they like it? Will they this? And I'm like, somebody out there needs to hear this message or somebody out there needs this product or whatever it is. So not to second guess putting my own insecurities over the intention of the potential impact I can have. And the third, and I'll kind of paraphrase what two different mentors, coaches told me. So the phrase together is, it gets lonely at the top, bring people with you. So two different people said, it gets lonely at the top. And someone else said, leadership is lonely. So bring people with you. Mm -hmm. And that to me is everything because it's it can be hard. Like you have to believe in yourself absolutely and take a bet on yourself if you're going to be an entrepreneur. But if you can do that around other people who support you or want to help you and you get to rise together, it's not only smarter, but also it's a great time. If you had a name to your life, a movie title, what would it be? In my element. In my element. You're mm -hmm. right. So that's my social handle, but it means something to me because what I've tried to do and it's an effort. It's not like I just woke up and I am in my own glory and I'm going to do this every day. Like I have to consciously make an effort to 
be authentic, be myself, not second guess myself, but also doing things in my own, doing it my way, owning my process. There were times at Google and people made me feel crazy because I did things very differently. I didn't know I had ADHD yet. I didn't know I was a hyper creative. I just thought I'm doing things in a way that people don't understand. But that was the sauce. That was the magic that made it possible just because someone didn't understand it. I let it get to me for a while. It was hurting me, but I eventually just had to keep at it. Like it was working, even though they didn't understand it. So I'm like, I just have to keep at it. And eventually people understood it. People don't always see your vision, you know, and they may not understand it. Like at one point I got feedback where I was passed up for promotion. You can be Forbes, you can be this, that, and still things aren't easy. So nothing was handed to me. I had to work for all of it. And sometimes people still didn't get it. And my boss said that the committee that reviewed promotions she said they get what you do and they get why you do it but they don't get the how no one understood how i was doing it but in that moment what should have been like feedback where i might have felt like immediately me prior would have been like man i gotta send more emails explaining what i'm doing and and you know write out all these plans and i was like but i do do that i do put together the project plans and everything to keep people on track with what i'm doing and i realized they're just not gonna get it And I think I used to want people to understand me and how I do things so much. And I realized that actually is the sauce and they may never get it as long as they don't question the results, because that ultimately is like, you know, I need people to get it in terms of what I'm producing, the output, what it is. Otherwise we're in our heads and spiraling. That's not going to lead to much. But I think that owning the way we do things, doing it in our element and knowing that is so unique and special, we need to like the world needs for us to bring our best selves and doing it as authentically as we possibly can, because no one wants us to be like everybody else. We've already had that. Exactly. And for my final question was, if you could go back to your household, think about the day that your mom asked, you know, Eliana of what I would say, 17, 18, you should apply to Harvard. And you're like, no, I would never do that. What would you tell yourself? What piece of advice would you give a 17 year old, 18 year old Eliana? If you can go back in time. I think it's what my mom said. You never know unless you try. Because I can't tell a kid, you're going to make it, you need to apply, because we don't know that. But to not even try means we don't give ourselves the opportunity to even know it's possible. So I think you just got to try. Oof, I love it. Where can people reach you at? At In My Element. So it's I-N-M-Y-E-L-I-M-E-N-T. I I wanted to get my name in there, In My Element Truly. On Instagram, on Twitter, Eliana underscore Murillo. You can Google me. I'm very easy to Google. My SEO is on point. Uh, ElianaMurillo.com, LinkedIn. Yeah, I love hearing from people. So if you want to reach out, please do. It's an honor to be here. Thank you both for having me. Yeah, thank you. And I just want to say how proud I am of you for having a podcast because we haven't talked about it much, but there was a time (laughs) when you weren't a fan of being on camera. I wasn't. You know, and so, and I I knew it was going to happen because I'm like, Pep's story is too good and you like people too much and you like content too much to not do it. So it's always cool when you see people with potential and they step into it. And now, I mean, big dogs only, it's a whole thing. <laughs> I'm like, I want to be big dogs only. I'm, I'm not. But <laughs> yeah, you are. Everybody's a big dog. Hell yeah. If you're, if you're striving for greatness, you're definitely a big dog. All right. I'm in. Cool. Hell yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> Juan, anything? I'm good. Wait, can I ask oh. actually, Juan, Juan, what was, yeah. what was your favorite? Wh- okay. What was your favorite thing I said? <laughs> um, All right. What was the point that resonated? I think it was right now at the end where you, you just, you can't really doubt yourself. You have to really believe in your own work because I've for sure had moments where people have doubted uh, or not really understood what I've wanted to do. And it's happened pretty recently and even with friends. And it's hard to not take that to heart. Yeah. 
because you're like, yeah, I have this great idea. And then someone's like, oh, I don't think it's going to work that way. And you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't try. So I, I think that's the biggest thing I took away from this. Well, you can pitch me. I'll tell you if it's good or not. Oh, <laughs> you guys have an investor. <laughs> well, thanks again. This is awesome. Hell yeah. And with that being said, everybody, thank you for joining us on Pep Talk. We appreciate our sponsor, Persistence Media. And as always, we love you guys. Peace. Much love. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to that episode. This is Big Pep. And again, bro, why? No, 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 no. Why are you always talking? Why, why don't I never get any shine on this? You end it. You start it. You asked all the questions. Like, come on. It's dog. called Pep Talk. With co-host Juan. What's going? Bro. When do I come into this? If you feel that, if you feel if you feel the need, go ahead. End it. End it. All right. I'm going to end it then. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate your guys' views, your listens. We appreciate you guys. Thank you again to Persistence Culture. You can go follow them at Persistence. Uh, nope, that's wrong. Go Persistence Media. That's the right one. You can follow Pep at Big Pep 3342. And you can follow me at Juan's Arts. Thanks again. Yeah, See but, y'all but, but, next but, time. Yeah, but follow Big, Big Pep. But follow Big Pep. Um, uh, you can follow me. Well, you can follow Big Pep. Or, you, you, you can, you you can know, no. swallow. You can. <laughs>